is this. It is the gifts of a groom. The gifts of a groom. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm going to James chapter 1 and verse 17. If you have it, say amen. If you don't, say wait on me. Amen. It says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen? Now, I want to talk to you today about the good and perfect gifts of the Father. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse uh, 7 and 8 says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. When he ascended, he left captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Hear me now. Each and every one of you have gifts this morning. No matter where you may stand, no matter how young or no matter how old you are, you have gifts that the Father has given you. The book of Jeremiah says that from the day he was in the womb, he was already ordained a prophet. Amen? So from the day that you were in the womb, the book of Psalms says that you were created, hallelujah, with great care and that it was recorded down in a book in heaven already in the womb, every member that would be on your body, everything that would be in your life. Now whether you realize it or not that there are gifts in every area of your life, it's whether or not we use, choose to use them and how we choose to take those gifts and measure them out to the world and be obedient to the Lord. Now, here's the danger. We know that a groom gives his bride gifts. But Romans 12 and 3 also says this. It reminds us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but to be sober in mind according to the way that God has dealt to each of us a measure of faith. Amen? Now, I tell you this for this reason. The way that God gives gifts, Satan also gives gifts. Satan also gives gifts. You say, well, Derek, exactly what do you mean? Satan will do what he can to destroy the union between a bride and her groom. If you do not believe me, let's go back and look at Matthew in the book, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Satan comes to Christ and he begins to tempt Christ and he begins to offer him things. One of the greatest things, he took him up, it says, on the pinnacle of a high mountain and he offered him the kingdoms of this world. Now we know how all that went down and Satan failed. We know that it did not work. So what did Satan do at that point? When he could not tempt Christ, when he could not break Christ, what did he do? He did exactly like he did in the garden. He moved to the bride. He moved to the bride. The same way that he got in Eve's mind. See, she was already in a perfect mind. She was already complete. She had a perfect and a wonderful gift. But Satan came in and attacked the bride's mind. And we know how that ends. He knew he could not go through the authority, so he went through the bride. And I promise you today, if there's a way, if there's a possible avenue that Satan can step into your life and give you gifts that will deter you or distract you from the will of God in your life, he will do so. Now, here's the thing. Exodus 23 and 8 says that any man who would take a bribe, and that's exactly what Satan will do, he will give you gifts to bribe you, just like he did Christ. He said that it perverts your judgment and it brings you into bondage. But Proverbs 18 and 16 says this, that God's gifts make room for the man to which they are given. Now that's interesting when you start looking at the Hebrew because it can mean to enlarge or it can mean to give a large pasture. Now that's interesting because we sow seed in a pasture. Amen? 
Now, from what I know, the Bible, we talked about this last week, one of the first jobs of the kinsman redeemer was to redeem the land. The land is the field. The field is where we sow. We know that the field is the world. So if the redeemer came to redeem the land, what is he wanting? He wants to redeem the land so we can sow into the pasture because we serve a redeemer that does not want a one-night stand. He wants a seed so he can birth something. Amen? Does anybody hear me in this house today? This is the heart of the kinsman redeemer. Satan would do exactly what he could so he could break that union. The kinsman redeemer wants to birth a kingdom. And if Satan can get in our mind the carnal gifts, we talked about this, the carnal gifts, then he can abort intimacy. And if he can abort intimacy, then he can mess up what the gifts were meant for. 1 Corinthians 14 and 12 says this, says it's okay to be zealous of the gifts as long as they intensify and edify the relationship between Christ and the body. In that verse it says to the edifying of the saints. Amen? So it's easy for us to get into a place where we want to use the gifts. I desire the gifts. The Apostle Paul said we should desire the gifts. He said to covet the best gifts but we have to be careful because if Satan cannot get you to accept the gifts in your life that he's trying to give you what he will do is he will try to pervert the gifts that God is giving now how does he do that number one he can try to exalt your mind and your spirit because of the gift that's already in you now you have to remember when a man goes after a woman when a groom goes after a bride he gives gifts But really in his heart and his mind, he doesn't want the bride necessarily to see the gifts. He does. But what he really wants is those gifts to intensify the relationship. That's why he gives it. He wants the bride to see that he cares. He wants the bride to see that there's more, more than just material, but he gives good gifts. He wants to show his love in every aspect and every way. We could go through the Bible and we could find in many different ways today the way that God gives gifts unto men. We read about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when we read about the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. And there have been many men who have exalted themselves and come to a fall because they exalted the gift above the relationship. Amen? Now, Isaiah 61 and 10 says this, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God for he has dressed me with the clothing of of salvation and drape me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride in her jewels. This has always been interesting to me. The father always pays for the wedding. Amen. The father always supplies what is needed in most cases. He supplies the wedding. He supplies the dress. He supplies all the decorations, the ornaments, and everything that goes with it. The father is the one who takes care of that. Well, in their day, the father also supplied something else. He supplied the groom. It was the father who would go to other families and seek out a groom for his wife. I think it's interesting that our father has supplied the wedding and the groom today. Amen? Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Now, let me tell you something interesting about a Jewish wedding, though. The groom would give gifts He would give jewels. He would give precious stones. But the funny thing is, 
the actual covenant ring that was given could not, and I mean could not by Jewish tradition, it was not to have a stone on it at all. It was to be pure silver or pure gold. Why? I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what does the Bible say? It says that our works will be tried, and when our works are tried, they come out as precious stones, gold or silver, amen? Gold represents your righteousness. Silver represents redemption. But the precious stones symbolize our works. And see, one of the greatest gifts that the Father ever gave to us was salvation. And he wanted us to understand through the idea and through the symbolism of a Jewish wedding, I don't want any precious stone on the ring I give you because it's not by your works, it's of my gift to you. So when the wedding ring was given, it was solely silver or only gold. Never was a precious stone put on it because they understood that those jewels represented works. And the groom was giving free gifts. Now, <laughs> help me, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, we don't exalt the gifts, but neither can we neglect them. 1 Timothy 4 and 14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in you. Why? Because the gift is to intensify. Amen? 2 Timothy 1 and 6 says this, Stir the gift within you. Why? Because stirring the gift intensifies the fire in the relationship. That's why Paul wrote the letter that he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to go there with me quickly. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to go to verse 17. Mm, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. Now listen, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is interesting here. The Apostle Paul understood what Christ wanted in intimacy. He says here the word know. And we've covered this before, but the word know is not just like I know Nathan. It's not just like I know Brother Tom. It's not like I know the Couch family. The word is a Greek word and it's genosko. And it means this. It's a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. Now you say that's, that's perverted. No, that's a carnal thought. Christ has pictured this thing from the beginning as a wedding. That's why the very first thing he did when he created man was institute a wedding. He gave a wife. He instituted marriage. It was holy. And he expects his bride today to be holy. He gives gifts unto men. He expects us to use those gifts, but never to exalt the gifts other than to intensify our relationship with him. Digging in the spirit to know the love of Christ. 
This morning, I would ask you simply this. What is your relationship this morning like with the groom? You see, the gifts today should intensify our intimacy with the, with the groom. It's interesting that today we have weddings in America where the wedding is one day and we have a reception and the couple will go on the honeymoon and they'll come back and it's life is normal. But the Jews did it a little different. The Jews, when they had a wedding, it lasted one week, seven days. There's a picture of it in Matthew chapter 25. When the bridegroom came, he went to his groom and the door was opened. And it says the virgins that were ready went with him. He was going into his bride and the door was shut behind him. Jewish tradition says this. It says that it was the tradition of the best friend. We would call him the best man today. This may sound strange to you, but this is the way they did it. Would literally sit at the door when the door was shut and listen. And listen. What was he listening for? He was, oh my God. He was listening to hear the first sounds of intimacy with the bride and the groom. Not in a perverted way, not in a carnal way, but to hear the first sounds of joy that would come from the intimacy with the bride and the groom. And they would rejoice in it. They would rejoice in it. Christ today wants intimacy. He is making a move upon this land. And we've talked about it and I've preached about it and I've declared it that there would be things that are going to begin to happen all over the world in different places and it's already beginning to happen that God's Spirit is pouring out upon all flesh. But it's only going to happen with those who are intimate with Christ there is a church today that is seeking nothing more than gifts. All they want is the precious stones. All they want is the gold and silver to show off and to exalt themselves. But Christ says, don't exalt the gift. Use the gift to glorify me and show them the groom. To intensify the relationship with me. Because what does the Bible say? What you do in private. I'll reward you in open. What you do in the secret place, I'll reward you openly. One of the high points of a wedding today is for those who sit among the congregation when the 